Alvin didn't attack me, but you know how cats do that thing in the middle of the night where they just decide they suddenly have to be somewhere else? Yes. For no apparent reason? Well, I think he was asleep, like, in the crook of my arm. I'm just laying there, and all, all of a sudden, I don't even, there's no growling, there's nothing. There's just a whirling dervish of movement and pain. And all down my forearm and on my side, in the nice meaty part of the side there, right on the side. Ooh, mm. yeah, where the sun doesn't reach, because I'm pale. <laughs> where the sun don't shine. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. Look, shields. You're sparkling officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple, Garrick. Dax. We might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the prophets at Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts... Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Let's play ball! Swing! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Listen to the Prophet to Deep Space Nine presentation, a Two True Freaks podcast. Rearrange those words into a sentence that makes sense. Today, we're going out to the ball field with the Niners. Take me out to the hollow suite, as usual. Playing space ball with me are my regular chums from across the Atlantic. Andy. Okay, yeah. so he didn't only fade from mine. Nope. Okay. Andy. Andy. But you came and you left without changing. But we need you to stay, oh Andy. You know what happened there? No. <laughs> Let me guess. It was, it, was it part of the cat mutiny that's going on? Yes. The cat walked across my keyboard and put airport mode on. <laughs> Excellent time. No, that was the, absolutely fantastic. The revolution is starting. <laughs> I think, I think uh, Dave, you should leave that in, because that was funny. I, for uh, one, welcome I our new cat overlords. I, I, I welcome my new feline oppressor. Uh, I am joined by my own outfielder, Dr. Bill Robinson. Ow, the cat got me. <laughs> my umpire Paul Spataro find him and kill him <laughs> and I'm running out of my space ball knowledge to know what Dave Pascarella does Dave is our, Dave is our pitching coach that's, that's one, oh there you go and our pitching coach David Pascarella if you program it they will come <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me uh, that, that's the episode today this is about the level that it's probably going to ascend to do we have anything newsworthy to discuss six months after the fact? Six months after the fact, we've been watching Picard, and I believe we've all been enjoying it. Yes, yeah, By so the far. time this airs, we may actually have a Picard retrospective episode. We may. It's all right. <laughs> you are such a curmudgeon. Yeah. I love Picard. It's great. See? There you go. Dave has spoken. Oh, no, that's a different show, isn't it? I have a nice bottle of Picard 68. Oh, it's a good vintage, that. That's yeah, one year older than me. What, 2068? 2168? Oh, 20, 2268. 2268. Oh, you're long dead. Thanks. 
<laughs> I, I'm not, because I've traveled through time. Bill's cat scratched him to death. <laughs> All right, well, if we've no news, we will jump straight into the episode in question, which, as I've already said, is Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. Cisco's oldest rival. It's been a long time. Challenges him to one final showdown. So let's play some baseball. But this is no game on the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Directed by Chip Chalmers, written by Ronald D. Moore. This was episode four of season seven and originally aired October 21st, 1998. A Starfleet starship docks at Deep Space. Now, Cisco recognizes its captain, Solok, as a former classmate and longtime rival. Solok believes that his all Vulcan crew are superior in every respect and challenges Cisco to a baseball game in the Hollow Suite. Cisco accepts, even though this gives him only two weeks to form a team into shape, and his son Jake is the only other potential member who has played the game before. Cisco's team trains hard and suffers injuries. Impatiently, he dismisses Rom from the team, and the squad nearly quit in protest. Cisco admits to Cassidy Yates that he is taking Solok's challenge too seriously, but it's not because of baseball, it is because of Solok. At Starfleet Academy, Cisco challenged Solok to a wrestling match after Solok provoked a drunken Cisco by announcing he was studying illogical human bonding rituals, i.e. he wanted to fuck. But Solok won, causing Cisco several injuries. Cassidy was amused that Ben would have even challenged Solok, because Vulcans are three times stronger than humans. Afterwards, Solok used the incident as evidence of his viewpoint that Vulcans are superior and published five papers on the wrestling match during their time at the Academy, and after they graduated, Solok published over a dozen papers comparing Vulcans and humans, each beginning with an analysis of the wrestling match, and Cisco refused to lose at his favourite sport to Solok. Holy God, somebody on Wikipedia needs to bring in some full stops. Cisco makes Cassidy promise to keep this between them, but she immediately tells the truth to the whole team, making them understand just how much this means to Cisco. When the game is played, the logicians, Solok's team, immediately build upon a good score. Cisco gets into an argument with the umpire, Security Chief Odo, and is thrown out for laying a finger on him. Near the end, and 10-0 down, the Niners are desperate to score a run. Rom's son, Nog, makes it to third base. In consideration for Rom's feelings, Cisco sends him into the game. Rom accidentally hits a perfect bunt, which brings Nog home, giving the Niners their only run in a 10-1 loss. The team's celebration confuses Solok, who protests to Odo, but also touches him, so Odo throws him out of the game as well. After the game, the DS9 crew relax at Quark's bar, toasting the triumph of team spirit over Vulcan superiority. Solok protests their celebration, only to be taunted. After continued disparaging attacks by Solok that are met with more mockery, Kira throws Cisco a baseball that his old team has signed. When Cisco asks Solok if he wants to sign the ball as well, Solok leaves. And that is the driest synopsis I think we have ever read on this show. It's the driest synopsis for, in my opinion, or it's the biggest uh, gap between the synopsis and the episode, because this was as fun an episode as they had in this series. Yes, I, I agree. I, I, didn't, I don't know anything about baseball. And yet I still think this is an absolutely cracking episode because it's not about baseball. You don't have to like boxing to like Rocky. True. That is true. But it, but as far as baseball goes, as a big baseball fan, it hits the numbers on it. Uh, you know, you, you hear them say things that people who don't know about baseball would say. And the reactions of Cisco and Jake are the reactions of people who do know about baseball. It's, mm. it's all, you know, every note I felt was really just correct in this one. Uh, just just so much fun. I, I just, 
I don't want to hog the stage just yet. The only thing I never heard of was a fancy dance. Oh, I've heard. See, of it. I I only knew him from Marvel Comics. <laughs> he fought Spider-Man. Yeah, fancy dance. One of the um. Oh, Enforcers. not the the Enforcers, thank you very much. So when they actually mentioned this where Fancy Dan came from, I'm like, oh, right, okay, that's pretty cool. That's a cool piece of trivia. I think they explained enough in the episode that if you don't understand baseball or have never seen baseball, you understood what they were doing. It certainly broke it down a lot easier than the rules of cricket, which that's still impenetrable to me. <laughs> now, there are plenty of people out there who have no athletic ability, but I'm assuming that this particular cast, they all seem to be in pretty decent shape. I'm assuming if you had a real baseball game, they'd be able to, you know, hold themselves out there fairly well, and yet they do such a great job when they're practicing of making it look like they have no idea how to play. Clumsy and awkward. I looked it up on Memory Alpha. Uh, Apparently Avery Brooks can play, so can the guy who plays Jake whose name I've temporarily forgotten, Cyril Lofton, they can play. Nog, not Nog, Rom, was actually a pro baseball player. and Sorry, considered being a pro baseball player when he graduated college, but actually went into acting instead. So to pretend that he couldn't play, he he played left-handed because he couldn't fake it. He couldn't do it. He just looked like he probably looked too smooth otherwise. Yeah, so he he played left-handed. The rest of them, it doesn't mention other than saying that uh, Nana Visitor was absolutely shockingly bad. <laughs> I, I don't doubt that they are, you know, that they're not skilled, but I still think they, you know, Nana Visitor was a dancer. I'm sure she was very coordinated out there and, and wouldn't look clumsy, even though she yeah. didn't know what she was doing. Yeah. I thought they all they all held up quite well. I was particularly impressed by Wolf. We will kill them! Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the line, I mean, I just cracked up laughing when when, when he said, fight him and kill him. Yes. <laughs> well, but don't forget, Worf has killed people in sports before. That is true. Yes. Even though that by is. accident. Yeah, so, well, I, I, he was probably on his best behavior here. If somebody hasn't watched the episode, one of the Vulcans crosses home plate but does not touch it. Oh. And, and uh, Rom has to go in and tag him with you know with the ball to get him called out and they're all sitting on the bench so so he said i don't know what to do what should i do and warfield said find him and kill him <laughs> well i like the, my other favorite offline in this one was at the beginning where he's actually roping everyone into doing this and we will destroy them <laughs> we have even, a, we even have some of the answer. questions they ask, you know, when they're trying, to, they're reading the rules, and the, you know, when they when you read the rules, they're extremely dry, and then, and then like you know, O'Brien is, well, what if there's a runner on home home plate? There can't be a runner on home plate. <laughs> Just you know, clearly showing their ignorance of the game, or O'Brien showing his ignorance of the game. Uh, it's just I, so so well done. Uh, there's so many lovely little character bits in it as well. Like O'Brien adopts the, the chewing gum, but he gives it a whiskey flavour. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was really amusing, and I love I, I love Lita's enthusiasm for it, even though she's not very good either. I got a kick out of the Vulcan writing on the back of their uniforms for their names. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was a nice I like touch. The, I like the baseball caps. Did you see the design of the baseball cap? The lo- the Deep Space Nine, the station melded into the logo on the cap. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really lovely. I'm surprised they never marketed them. I would buy one. 
Yeah, I'd have one of them. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. All right, Niners, let's hear some chatter. Hey, better, 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 better. Death to the opposition. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great because it's like a callback to uh, a Next Generation episode, you know, where they're going to compete the uh, ship's team. And Worf tells Riker, you know, we're going to utterly destroy them. And yeah, Riker's you get like, no, you go, you have a few laughs, you make some friends, winning doesn't matter. And Worf's like, so why keep score? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, I remember that. Well done. I didn't catch that. That was excellent. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's a lighthearted episode. And I've, you know, sometimes I feel like, like it's, it's hypocritical because, you know, I'll, Raise one and then I'll put down another one. But I guess it really comes down to how well it's done. A lighthearted episode is fine when it's well done, but when they just jam one in there and it's not particularly clever or particularly well done or it doesn't seem to fit the moment at all, that's when I have a problem with it. In this instance, not only was it clever, not only was it really well done, and clearly they thought this out as they wrote this script a lot. And I assume that some of the people in the writers' room were big baseball fans because they they hit on a lot of the the kind of things that you'd see in this situation. But it also kind of fit the time, you know. Okay, they're in the station because they needed some repairs. Uh, you know, you you normally do something in your off hours to kind of get yourself out of this war mentality for a little while, you know, a little R and R. And then the the rivalry with Cisco is just terrific. You know, the fact that he, he picked up baseball just to, to you know, and he got his whole crew playing just to kind of screw with Cisco. Uh, and the way this guy, I don't, I don't, I looked up, you know, I clicked on this actor's name on Wikipedia just to see what his, uh, his background was. And they have no background for him. So I have no idea what acting he's done otherwise. But he's one of the guys who, who actually seems to get it for a Vulcan because he doesn't play a Vulcan without emotion he plays a vulcan with emotion who's suppressing it so he seems to get it and he seems to understand how it's supposed to be done and you know he he never overtly says anything emotional and he doesn't you know he doesn't have a lot of expression in his face but you could see he's seething underneath mm. yeah it was an exceptionally good performance yeah especially seeing as a lot of the people who play vulcans in the latter series don't get it right you're absolutely spot on about this guy. He was really good. His eyes are really impressive as well. He's got them blue eyes like Meg um, Foster. So he does a lot with his eyes. Now, he was really good. I was dead impressed with him. But And yet when I looked him up, I couldn't find anything else that he's been on. Well, no, he's been on a lot of a lot of TV. Um, anything that we would recognize? Uh, well, not, not, um, I don't mean a series that we'd recognize. I mean a part where we'd, if you said, oh, he played so and so. No, because he's, say, no, oh, yeah. he's like, because he's just got little one-off roles in a lot of different shows, you know, Monk, Criminal Minds, ER. Uh, he was on Enterprise, um, but no regular. Uh, no, no, not regular not like a long role. stint. It's like a bunch of little little mm-hmm. stints here and there. He does. He crops up in an episode of Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah, but I don't know if he plays a Vulcan in that. Um, let me take a look real quick. Riveting, Bill. Riveting. It is. Don't know what he played. Just doesn't say. It just says Saris. Doesn't sound See, like a. Well, where do you get information like this on the internet? We, this is a great crazy. show that we have. <laughs> oh, he was on Jag. He was on ER. All kinds and of he, stuff. And he always played a Vulcan. Yeah, he yes, a Vulcan he's a Vulcan in, in ER. 
how? I found another scratch that I didn't. Sorry. You know, I think putting the baseball episode in here, if you're a baseball fan, it's perfect symbolism because they're in the middle of this war with the Dominion. And other than that one strike they had in 94 to 95, nothing has interrupted the game of baseball. Not the Depression, not the war. There was talk, you know, they wanted FDR to end baseball for the duration, but it went on. You know, I baseball, you, Ray. I, that's, I was just going to say, I heard you saying that as James Earl Jones from Field of Dreams. <laughs> it's always been about baseball. I don't have a good James Earl Jones, so. I'm a little surprised. <laughs> I just assumed you'd do a good James Earl Jones. He's not easy to mimic. He's just deep. He doesn't have a lot of, like, I don't know. But that, that's not what this is about. It's not? <laughs> no. Now, I'm not a big baseball fan. I mean, I'd rather sometimes play it than actually watch it because I'm st- at some point it can be a little boring, a little bit for well, me. Well, that gives you the opportunity. You get up, you go to the refrigerator, you get a beer, you make a sandwich, you come that's back. True. You that's true. That's true. That's true. What happened? Uh, four, uh, three balls and two strikes. Oh, yeah, and that took, what, 10 minutes? Okay, great. Because the guy had to scratch himself, he had to swing the bat a few times, he had to stretch. I think either you like baseball or you don't, so I'm not gonna, I'm not saying this as somebody who's trying to advocate it for people who don't. But to me, being at the ballpark, first of all, is just a great experience. And I will go, even though I am a yes, huge fan in- of one team in particular, I will go to a ballpark to see any two teams play. I, I've done it in the past. My kids and I have traveled to different stadiums, and we've seen teams that we have no rooting interest in but it's just fun to go to the ballpark get that experience in and all of that but on tv it it also first of all i mean again i'm a big fan of one team so i, I watch that team's games you intensely. could say what team it is it's all yeah. right no but, yeah. but my, my point is that it also lends itself to one of the things that I, things that i like is that i can watch baseball and multitask at the same time. I can can watch baseball and accomplish other things, and I really enjoy watching baseball, but I get other things done. So it's just like, to me, it's the best of both worlds, and it has nothing to do with the board. This is where we cut cut to a montage of, like, Paul painting the house, (laughs) making a, a marble sculpture, you know, solving the unified field theory on a big chalkboard, and he just turns and he watches, oh, you got a strike. Oh, let me go back to this equation. Well, as far as those spe- specific activities, I think uh, painting the house might be the only one I might do. But <laughs> I can pretty much guarantee you, if I'm painting the house and there's a baseball game on, it would be on my TV or on my radio, and it, you know, I'd, I'd be taking it in as I paint it, almost guaranteed, because that's the kind of game it is. Well, I'll, I'll tell you personally. Last year, Teresa got interested in baseball. And it's been like one of the best things, watching the game with her. Yeah. Uh, brought us even closer together, if that was possible. I, um, I you know, it, it is it is a fun experience to do with people as well. You're going and watching games and watching them. On, the, the whole key is, you know, different people have a different tolerance of it on TV. And I understand that. Some people find it boring on TV. I happen to be somebody who loves to multitask and sometimes... Sometimes I have a problem with the stuff that's too intense that you can't multitask while you're watching it. It's like, well, how am I supposed to read a comic book while I'm watching this? 
You read it in between the innings when the commercials. No, I'm not talking about baseball. Baseball, I can do it. I'm talking <laughs> about when there's other things. For example, if I'm watching an episode of Picard, I can't really read a comic while I'm no. watching. No, no, you have to pay attention to Picard. He demands that I pay attention. Well, he—that's what he's like. For you to not pay attention would be effing hubris. <laughs> Very good. What did you I think th- about about uh, Cassidy immediately? <laughs> going against what Ben wanted her to do. I loved it because Cisco has diverted Cassidy away from a money-making gig just to play baseball. <laughs> and I'm not entirely real. sure he ever tells her that he did that. No, I don't think he does. <laughs> not, if he, not if he values his balls. But I, I think it felt very real that, that she would do that. The, the, the question I have, or the bigger question is, would... Uh, would which, I'm sorry lost track of it or would ben actually know that she was going to do that when he told her was he manipulating her into telling the team no i don't think he was i think he honestly didn't want the team to know that this was just a petty jealousy thing i think he would have preferred as the commander to keep that secret um but it actually has the adverse effect they all relate to him a lot more because of it and i think cassidy did the right thing it was also very very funny when you snap cut straight to her telling everybody <laughs> I honestly think this is the funniest Star Trek episode since by any other name. I think it's really genuinely amusing in places. Like Odo, we haven't mentioned Odo. Cisco oh, goes to Odo so to get him to be the umpire, and there's there's two wonderful moments in it with Odo. One is him practicing in his office. <laughs> as Kira's walking past and she just grins at him and then that brilliant but she grins at him lovingly like she yeah. loves that he's doing that it's not yeah. you know that she's no, no, it's embarrassed not a by it or anything. anything like that no she's loving every minute of it and then him throwing Cisco off is funny in and of itself but when he does the same to so what later on that shit eating grin that he's got on his face when he kicks him off the pitch <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's ter- he was terrific in it and, and it's interesting because I was you know at first I was surprised that they didn't get him to play but he well, was perfect maybe, as the umpire well then it wouldn't well that would have been a bit it, Solok would have maybe said that would have been too much of an unfair advantage that he needed to play against it was Vulcans versus humanoids yeah, but no, it's, it's, it's not so. It's not enough of an unfair advantage that the Vulcans have four times the strength of the humans. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Paul. Though I think that you, if he'd have wanted to play Odo, I don't think they would have had a leg to stand on in complaining about it. Not really. As Cisco mentions, only Worf could go toe to toe with them, so they've already got a significant advantage. Mm. I, I love their baseball caps as well with the Edix symbol on. <laughs> I, I think they're pretty cool as well. So for any anybody listening, Andy put a uh, link in where you could buy the Deep Space Niners logo hat. The only problem is it's $35. Is that a lot? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I was doing Captain Kirk from Star Trek 4. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were thinking, well, it's, you know... I, lo- I love it. What, 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 what currency do you have there? Rubles? Yes, at the moment, rocks. Well, well, $35 is what you pretty much pay for a fitted cap. Here. At the ballpark? Well, plus yeah, you get and, your I'm name not sure, and I'm not sure this is fitted. I don't think plus it is. Plus, it gets your name embroidered on it. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and it, it, it's got a space to enter your name, and it's got, you know, like as an example, it says Spock. 
<laughs> which is is awesome and cool they also go out onto the field to the uh, federation national anthem which is a dirge of the highest quality some people have said it should have been jerry goldsmith's theme for the next generation i know enterprise didn't exist at this point but i wanted it to be faith of the heart <laughs> <laughs> i would love it if the federation national anthem was faith of the heart and they could have had a holographic representation of a famous singer do it on the baseball pitch <laughs> can you just imagine you have uh what's his name vic yeah, you could have had oh, that would have been oh, That would have been absolutely brilliant. But I know Enterprise didn't exist yet, so that wasn't going to happen. But they oh, should make a special edition of this that is that. You know, they should have had Vic in the uh, like in the um, in the stands. Oh, well, I think monetarily they probably couldn't afford oh, that. Yeah, think about it. They've got all the cast. They've got all the extended cast. They've got all the baseball players that not only taught the cast how to play baseball, but were playing as the Vulcan team. And, and they have a location element. Yeah. What do you mean? Ooh. I thought money wasn't an issue in the future. <laughs> well, <laughs> money is an issue when paying for a television show. <laughs> oh, if you if you scroll down on the ball cap, you can also buy the uh, T-shirts. And uh, you can buy a hooded sweatshirt with with the Niner symbol on it. Yeah, I'm just going to have a lecchy moment and point out that all of the women looked absolutely adorable in those outfits. Mm. Yeah, the Deep Space Nine Niner's fleece hooded sweatshirt is cheap. Uh, it's cheaper, cheaper than, than the, the cap. Right. Okay. Wow. Thirty-two ninety-five. Wow, we could feel the team. I think that the people who listen to this show on a regular basis should buy us those. <laughs> As a thanks for seven years of hard work, I, or just, however long we've been doing this. Show. Seven years of a labor of love for me, but yes. that's besides the point. Uh, yeah, if anybody wants, I take a 2XL. I have no idea what I am. I, I, I love that the Ferengi caps as well were massive. <laughs> <laughs> they really were those fitted ones that Dave was just on about. <laughs> Particularly Nogs was this huge, like, pizza thing around his head. <laughs> oh, God, this one was so funny. One of the things I found amusing was um, when the, he's asking Odo to be the umpire. And so, well, you know, why don't you just let the com- computer do it? And he's, oh, no, you know, you can't do that. You need an umpire. Which is and reminiscent of, lang- of of arguments that they have today all the time, right. or debates they have all the time. We're going to have computers soon calling balls and strikes. Which I'm not necessarily a fan of. I'm, I'm, I'm with Cisco on that. I'd rather have I'd rather have people doing it. Yeah, also on Memory Alpha, did you ever watch Fame? No, because I'm not going to live forever. Apparently, Iris Stephen Burr wrote an episode of Fame that has... Essentially, this episode's a remake of that episode. Hmm. Including including the the tagger bit that you mentioned earlier on, he didn't touch fourth base, so somebody had to go over and tag all of them. That is Look at Andy, so cute. Fame. Fourth base. Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Tom plate, Andy. That's, that's the one. So that was apparently that was based on a real life incident that happened to Ira Burr. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not incredibly deep episodes. There's not a lot of different things we can look at. I guess. If we wanted to try and be a little bit, you know, like messages, meanings, and morals like they do on uh, <laughs> on the other show, uh, the question would be, is it right for Cisco to use the crew for his own personal kind of vendetta? 
Yeah, because it's not like he's risking their lives taking them out on the defiance into the Badlands where they're all probably going to get killed. And one of those traditional, well, you don't have to do this. I will not order you to do this. And they're all going to do it anyway. This is just a bit of fun. And they all look like they're having a ball. And I did love the solidarity of them all when he kicked Nog off the team and they were all like, well, if you're not playing, we're not playing. And Nog was right. No, the captain was right to kick me off. I'm not good enough. Oh, you know, you know what, what I want to mention is not only is Rom inept, but he fractured Quark's skull with a bat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that leads into that brilliant line. Do you know what I learned today? Look behind you before you swing a bat. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like that's amazing to me. Like they they took it so far that he fractured his skull. Uh, I I just I don't know. I thought that was great. And uh, I also just love the way the medicine is. That you know they they can heal them all so quickly. Yeah. Well, the twenty fourth century is amazing, isn't it? Except yeah, that Brian still was out. Well, he's got that. He's always got that rotator. I I guess they haven't quite figured out joints. They can grow kidneys, but they can't fix a rotator cuff. Because yeah, Brian's had that injury since the, since the next generation. Is it a real injury, or is he, oh yeah, it's my rotator cuff. Yeah, no, no, he, he's been he has been out of things a couple. No, of times. No, no, I know, but what I'm saying is, oh, in real life. No, 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 no. It's not like he's just using it to milk things. Oh right. Oh yeah, <laughs> like you know, like Scotty always, you know, going, you know, oh my I, repair, uh, uh, you know, oh oh mm-hmm. oh my rotator cuff, I can't get this fixed as fast, Captain. Meanwhile, he's over there. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I I I shoulder through the pain. I'm okay. I don't think he'd get away with that with two different doctors. Well, Bashir's his buddy. See, that's why he made friends <clears throat> with the doctor. All right. Okay. You know, you know what I found interesting was the two real baseball caps they wore were for real teams, as opposed yes. to like the London Kings. Yeah, they did actually wear two genuine baseball caps, didn't they? Yeah, San Francisco Giants and the Atlanta Braves. And one the of them, Mugatu Maulers, or the Mugatu Maulers would be brilliant. And because one of them is Jake Sisko's real life uncle or something, was a professional yeah. ball player. Kenny Lofton. Huh. Yeah, Kenny Lofton was on the Cleveland Indians, if I recall correctly. Right. So. And then I think I think he may have been on the Atlanta Braves late in his career. Oh, no, okay. he played for the Braves and then played for the Giants. I only know that because I'm reading it. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> not like, oh, yeah, well, unfortunately, Paul, it was the Braves and not the Indians. Also, also, they were both two National League teams, and when they played the game, there was no designated hitter. Pitcher had a bat. Right. I'm learning all kinds of new stuff. That will never help you in anything. <laughs> it will never come well, in. You, you, know, you never know. Oh, you know if if had... Andy and family come here to New York, I'm dragging them to City Field to watch a baseball game. Why would okay. you do that to them? <laughs> because I don't want you coming along. Why would you force them to see the team that they give you the tickets for free if you go to court when you get arrested? <laughs> Is that you think? true? Where do you think yeah. I got the tickets? <laughs> yeah, well, you get arrested just to get tickets? Yes, if you show oh. up in court, you get Mets tickets. Every time I want to go to a game, I jaywalk. We we used to have a thing called bail. Now you get Mets tickets. Yeah, it's one of the stupidest <laughs> things that our our New York government has put into place. <laughs> That's absolute genius. New York City's so, mayor and so New York's governor. Is, is filled with possible, because I don't want to say... 
confirmed, but possible criminals. Yeah. Well, 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 they have put this system into place. I don't think they're actually giving away all that many tickets in reality, but it's just such a stupid plan, and I don't want to go any further into it than that. <laughs> it's worth it for the entertainment value of telling the story. <laughs> well, it just made me laugh, so... <laughs> well, we, you know, the threat of putting him in jail isn't good enough. Let's give him baseball tickets. <laughs> Let's, we won't throw you in jail. We'll give you a worse punishment. We'll make you watch the <laughs> match. See the match. Oh, I hate you guys. <laughs> well, what do you expect? The mayor's a Red Sox fan. <laughs> oh, dear me. That's proper baby laugh. <laughs> well, you know what? Good fun. Not political, just good fun. <laughs> no, it was just a good laugh, that, wasn't it? I, so, I, will, I will say... David, your team has a better history. You have a better team. And more we have a better ballpark. So there. Yeah. And I'm going to leave it at that. It is more. It is more enjoyable to be at City Field for the atmosphere than it is at Yankee Stadium. You know. You know what they didn't do, uh, or at least I don't recall. Uh, they didn't do. They didn't sing something from the seventh inning stretch. Take me out to the Hollow Suite. Yeah, they could. That's where they could have had Vic at. Yeah. Buy me some. Me buy, buy me some Gach and some Ractagino. <laughs> I don't care if you never get Gach. <laughs> Andy doesn't know what that is. So during, in between the what seventh? Is it in the middle? In the middle of the seventh inning. In the middle of the seventh inning. The top and the bottom of the seventh inning. The uh, usually they the whole crowd sings "Take Me Out to the Ball Game." Right. Uh, if you'd ever seen a a Cubs game on TV or been to a Cubs game, it was always the Drunken announcer Harry Carey. Hi everybody, Kevin Shay. Hey everybody, I'm Harry Carey. Let's see, take me out of the ballgame. See, I could do Harry Carey. Uh, he was. A I love it when Will Ferrell does it when he uh, did that. Well, when Harry <laughs> and, Carey died, what they did was they started having celebrities who happened to be at the game get up and lead the crowd, mm. or they play a recording of Harry Carey doing it because he did it so well. Mm. And uh, at, at City Field, they play the recording of Taking Out the Ball Game, followed by Jenna uh, Luna Mitzamad, which is always fun, also known as Lazy Mary. Anyway. Is this the first time we saw the Vulcans being assholes? Because in Enterprise, that would be a regular thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think this is the first time we saw them overtly doing so. You know, where, where as, a watch, as a viewer of the episode, you knew that they were just being jerks, pompous jerks. But to be fair, um, when Cisco first has the run-in with him, you know, he's telling the story, and uh, the Vulcans, you know, you're an illogical, yada yada, inferior being. So to prove I'm not, let's fight. <laughs> which is which was also his reaction in the academy, apparently. <laughs> right? I, well, shouldn't he have come up with something else? You kind of proved this point. Uh, but the let's fight. You know, effectively, you know, let's play the game. Effectively resulted in them getting trounced again. So when he did get success, it was by showing that it didn't bother him. No, 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 no. I mean the initial fight where he says we're going to wrestle. Yeah, but even 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 when they when they come to you know when he come when they come to DS9, his reaction hasn't changed. It's okay. Let's play baseball now. You know, what I mean, it, it's a different sport. Right. But but he's still. You know, Cisco is is not willing to accept the physical superiority of the Vulcans when clearly it exists. There's nothing you can do about it. 
But so he, you know, he was willing to challenge him to a baseball game when when he should know damn well that there's no chance that they're going to beat these guys. But when he finally has success, it's because he shows that it doesn't bother him that he does accept it and he's mm-hmm. willing to take whatever little you know moral victory he can get. And then that's what actually upsets Solak. Yeah, see, it's a shame, really, because I would have loved Solak to just take the ball off him at the end and sign it. I think that would have been a nice ending to it, that he accepts that this is just stupid and petty and ridiculous and from 20 years ago and let's move on with our lives. Well, but then, but then maybe... Cisco doesn't win. Yeah. Well, no, Cisco maybe... wins because Solak's upset. They, Yeah, but they could have redeemed... Solak and, mm, and just by and, having him do that, just by just having, by having him say, ball off him and then well, side Solak, it and throw it back. Solak still could have said, "I'm glad to see you have finally, you know, moved beyond your pettiness and embraced, you know, just the enjoyment of the game." Which would then say, not only was Cisco wrong all along for playing the game against him, but he was wrong all along for having this rivalry that was fueled by Solak's attitude. Mm, that's true. So it's saying it was okay for Solak to have this attitude and Cisco's 100% wrong. In the way in the way it it did conclude, we got Solak was wrong for acting the way he did. Cisco was wrong for acting the way he did, but Cisco overcame it and Solak showed his true colors. So I I think I I think the way they ended it was better than to to redeem Solak. Mm. mm. Because he does, he does change his attitude as the game goes on, and then he starts saying, "This is what I love about it. Look how unpredictable it is." So well, that's, yeah, that's one right. of that's one of the most uh, common phrases about uh, you know about baseball. It's you know people say, "Oh, I love the game because from from day to day, you never know what's going to happen one day to another." You know, you could you can watch game after game after game, and there's you know you, there's always a chance you're going to see something you never saw before. Mm-hmm. Like sending signals by banging in a garbage can. Uh, we could go there, but I think we extend this episode by an hour or two. So let's let's let that subject go. When I see you next week, we could talk about that. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> anyway, uh, any more commentary on this episode? Do we want to rate it? Yeah, you know, I'm tempted to give this five. I really enjoyed it. It's it's. It's a throwaway one, given that season seven is all about the war and the arc and all that stuff. But I just had a great big smile on my face all the way through it. And there's so many wonderful, just little throwaway gags in the background. And the performances are all just so genuinely fun. Yeah, I'm going to give it five. I thought it was great. Okay. Uh, I want to give it a five because I really can't come up with any flaws in it. But I feel like it's, I don't know, it, like I almost go back and forth between should I give it a 4.5 because it's whimsical. But I think I'm going to, I I was going to give it a 4.5, but I think I'm going to agree with you, Andy, and, and say that it is just so well done. And, and, you know, this is how you do a lighthearted episode. Mm. And I'm going to I'm gonna go with you and give a 5, even though I originally was not. Um, I'm going to give it, um, I'm going to give it five fourth bases. <laughs> Out of five, um, yeah, because it's a feel good. It's nice, you know. Plus, we're getting towards the end of the series, and we know we're not going to have maybe not as many more good happy ones. So they're they're unloosening everybody to get ready for this long stretch to the end. So uh, you know, yeah, five. I gave it five golden gloves. 
I thought it was a lot of fun. If nothing else, we're saying if you're going to make the, a list of the top episodes of this series, this one is on it. So that's what yeah. we said. But what does Blaine say? You need to do Take Me Out to the Ball Game with, with Blaine's name in it now. Uh, thanks. I was already <laughs> planning on that. But <laughs> The cat scratch hasn't gotten to me too bad yet, Andy, so... <laughs> Well, wait, you, you could do Center Field by John Fogarty. Put Blaine in, coach. He's ready to write. <laughs> well, I think you've already done it, Paul, so I don't think I need to do it now. No, no, no. Now do take me out to the ballgame. You said you were going to no. do it. Now do it. The, uh, what, what, I'm were you just bluffing? Were I you pretending can't? like you were going to do it? No. You were bluffing. So Andy, you don't have words. Andy, Andy, is there some type of, like, cricket song you guys play? I don't like, know. Well, I mean, like, you know, take, you know, take me out to the field. No, I don't think there's a there's a cricket. Nobody plays this game. Buy no. me some fish and chips for my snacks. They don't have fish and chips at cricket. Cricket what? is a very uh, cricket. No, 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 no. Cricket is not for you commoners. What? I cricket it was, is like it was tennis. Baseball. Uh, no, no. Cricket is uh, an upper class game. Footballs where they have fish and chips, dude. Oh, okay. And by uh, football hey. you mean soccer? Yes. Oh. You know, that game where we play where we actually kick the ball with our feet. That's 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 soccer, yeah. The game where they never score any points. They always score. This is bullshit. <laughs> Please. You and your foreign games. <laughs> We've just spent an entire episode talking about a foreign walk- I thought the cat, the cat walked along the... Uh, the Until the again. cat cuts us off, yeah. <laughs> what, 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 what does Blaine say? Tell me what does he say? What did he say about Sapaso? Oh, tell us what did he say? Now tell Paul. Well, <laughs> okay, I'm going to say well done, even though you stumbled a little. I was trying to. What? <clears throat> well, he's got a bum leg. What do you expect? I don't have that a bum leg. His voice. What? I can't scratch my arm and my side, not my leg. I'm making excuses. I'm making excuses for your bumbling, Otis. Let it go. It's the infection going up to his brain. Just don't talk about it. Oh, please continue the petty bickering. There's no petty bickering. It's just humiliating Bill. Anyway, Blaine says, Hi, guys. Confession time. I don't enjoy watching baseball and don't understand the appeal of it. That's sad. Blaine has, like, no life. Uh, well, thanks for writing in, Blaine. <laughs> and Blaine was never heard from again. It was my favorite sport in phys ed in school, but that was only because standing around doing nothing legitimately counted towards participation marks with that sport. While I don't care for sports in general, and I think that is the key line of this, <laughs> I do understand why others enjoy hockey, football, and soccer. Or, for Andy's sake, ho- hockey, gentle rugby, and football. Yeah, there is rugby? no such thing as gentle rugby. Rugby players walk off the pitch with blood everywhere. Maybe that's because the Canadian culture I've been in all my life didn't put emphasis on it that the U.S. does, and maybe it even guides us away from that in some sense of national identity, but it doesn't interest me. Come, please, hockey in Canada is, like, ridiculous. So don't don't start with me here, Blaine. <laughs> I say that for context only because I love this episode in spite of the baseball, not because of it. We meet a Vulcan who isn't as adept at controlling his emotions as those we've met to date. 
while forgetting Cybok, who doesn't want to forget, who, but who doesn't want to forget Cybok and everything else about that movie? I, I, I enjoy that movie, even though I know I it's... I need my pain. Yeah, that's there's a lot of things about of my, that movie I enjoy. That and Star a, Trek Two are one of my most quoted Star Trek movies. There's so many good lines in that. It's a nice character piece for Rom and shows that a love of baseball is important to Cisco, but not to the rest of the crew, rather than being culturally pervasive. O'Brien's scotch-infused chewing gum is genuinely funny. I think one of the things I love about it is the realization that fun is more important than winning, and putting Rom back in. It feels like a victory manufactured or otherwise just a score. A team with superior physical abilities and considerably more practice should wipe the floor with our heroes, and they did. A surprising victory wouldn't have worked nearly as well for me as a viewer, especially if Rom had gone through flashbacks to violin lessons taken as a child. Blame. I do agree with that, that if they had somehow managed, you know, did this episode where it was a tightly contested game throughout and somehow Rom plated the winning run, it wouldn't have rang true. No, the fact that they were inept all the way through it and remained inept to the end was what made it fun. But they weren't 100% inept. They gave up 10 runs, which is a lot, but it's not an insane amount. I mean, I've watched baseball games where there were runs scored in the 20s, and that's with professional baseball players on both sides of the ball. So, you know, for these people with superior ability to have scored more than 10 would not have been unheard of. Uh, in fact, they even make mention of it in the episode when, when Jake is a little bummed that they scored 10 runs, and, and Ben responds, well, they're Vulcans, what do you expect? If it had been a normal human team, they only would have scored two or three runs. So, you know, it, it's, it's put in perspective, and when you consider the superior physical ability of the team, the fact that they held them to only 10 runs is saying something. So I, I think it's it, it, it almost rings kind of true and... You know, like I said, them pulling out a victory would not. And I've silenced the room. I don't know enough about baseball to argue with you. You've silenced us because you are correct, sir. So you want to... uh... Oh, wait, wait. I had one more thing about the episode in general I uh, had forgot to mention. It's actually listed in the continuity stuff on Memory Alpha, but I had caught it before then because I was like, wait a second. Whoa, who is that? That's not Worf. At the scene at the bar at the end, there's um, there's a spot where uh, Bashir like leans his head back and like laughs or something, and there's a guy sitting behind him that's supposed to be Worf, but I'm like, that's not Worf. No, and it I, isn't. It it was his. It was like his like a photo mm. double. Oh, it's Odo's double as well. Yeah, I, I didn't know catch Odo. Odo. I didn't. I I saw it on Memory Alpha. Yeah, you're right. It, what, Michael Dolan and René Aubergeois were not on set that day. Yeah, but when I spotted Worf, I was like, what the heck? Who is that guy? That guy's got a fat head. That's not Worf. <laughs> hey, fat head! <laughs> Sorry, right. go ahead, Paul. Well, I was going to say, that, that'll do it for uh, Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. Uh, does anybody want to read any of email? Yeah, we can do one email if you want. Yeah, we have an email from Tissum Tissum. And I know Andy's not going to read it because it's not in his contract. <laughs> I do the emails when I don't do the synopsis, and I did the synopsis. So, so Tissim Tissim says, so, or titles it, Sort of Thoughts on, Sort of Thoughts Re Season 6, Episode 11, Waltz. Listeners, have been waiting a while to see what you thought of Waltz, in part because I'm not totally sure where I stand on it. My default position has been that I sort of wish Ducat's story had ended with Sacrifice of Angels. 
since it's such a perfect way to say goodbye to one of Trek's most compelling villains, a character who's legitimately both sympathetic and monstrous. Sometimes at the sometimes at the time time. I don't know what that means. I guess maybe at the same time. And then I can't really feel that way because Waltz is so good. What was interesting listening to your episode is that Andy kept almost swaying me to 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 the position that Waltz diminishes the character in a way that's not rewarding. I agree that this is a riveting episode with amazing acting from everyone involved, and I agree that spelling out Ducat is evil is a disservice to the character, the show, and the audience. In the end, I have to note that if you take away that last monologue, the rest of the episode is just intense, showing a broken man wanting to be loved in a way that's totally in keeping with what we know of Ducat. Even when the mask slips and he rants about killing Bajorans, it's a moment of loss of control that makes sense. Having a superiority complex and getting angry enough can certainly lead to that sort of lashing out. Ducat, as he's last seen, surrounded by his phantoms, is still fascinating. Anything that happens afterward is not Waltz's fault. So I'm back to my original position. It's only when you look at the rest of the show that it is that it becomes a turning point. Ducat pre-Waltz is a nuanced character, and Ducat post-Waltz has no depth. It is sadly the last time the show does anything worthwhile with the character, but Waltz, per se, is pretty damn great. Best Ben. I don't disagree with any of Ben's thoughts there, except I'm going to reserve judgment on it's the last time they do anything worthwhile with the character, because I want to wait, and as we revisit it this season, over the course of the season, I want to judge now. I don't want to prejudge it based on my view, having viewed it in the past. So I want to take it on, as an episode by episode, on an episode by episode basis, and see what I think of him as they present him. I may agree, I may not, I'm not sure. And nobody else has any thoughts, so that's no, fine. I, yeah, we need to wait and see what um, what exactly they do. Because again, I think we've mentioned this before, we're into the episodes now I've only ever seen once. I think that's why this one was such a, such a blast. Because I didn't remember anything about it. And if you'd have said to me, oh, they do a baseball episode, I'd have been like, oh, you could have eaten my eyes rolling. But they they actually pulled this one off and made it really fun and funny. And because I don't remember anything about it, that made it all the more enjoyable. So maybe I'm wrong about Ducat. Maybe they do pull a rabbit out of the hat and make him more interesting. My memory is they now turn him into the black hat. And he was always more interesting when he walked that line between, yes, he's the bad guy, but I kind of relate to what he's doing. I, I don't necessarily think you're wrong on that. It may be absolutely correct, but I think I have to wait and see to what extent I feel like that serves the story and the, you know that we're getting. I, I, you know, I may I don't know this for a fact, but I may conclude that we've had enough character moments with Ducat, and now it's time to focus on our main cast, and he is a means to an end to do that, and. That might be acceptable to me, and it might not. I don't know. Like I said, I'm reserving judgment until we watch it. I don't know that it's going to diminish the character so much as no longer develop him, if that makes sense. Yeah, fair enough. We don't know until we get there, do we, really? Yeah, I think, you know, ultimately we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah. So I guess that's it for this episode. And what are we doing next time? Next time on our all-new episode of Listen to the Prophets. Uh the Jack Packer back. An experiment in human perfection. We're mutants. Genetically engineered mutants. Had some inhuman results. She's trapped inside her own mind. 
This could free her. Now, can a medical miracle... Yesterday she was silent as a stone. Today she's singing and laughing. Cure Bashir's lonely heart. She's your patient. Don't you see? She's a woman I've been waiting for all my life. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. What, 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 what? You don't like the, the Jack? I, I am not a fan. I thought you, I thought you enjoyed the last one. I may have enjoyed the last episode. Doesn't mean I ever want to see them again. Phil is going to sit there Paul. dancing and crying now. Paul, Paul, he doesn't like me. He doesn't like no. me, Paul. Calm down, dude. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what we think of it when we cover it in two weeks. Yeah, when we get it. In the meanwhile, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. You're out of here. Oh, you took my line. You took the words right out of my mouth. He must have been while Bill's cat was scratching him. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Bill. Ow. Listen to the prophets at Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you'd like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. And I'm just laying there, and I'm like Peter Griffin from The Family Guy. And I'm like, ah, just roll over and it'll, it'll go away. Ah, it ain't going away. In fact, it's getting worse. So I lift my arm up, and even in the, in like the, you know, the, the really dim lighting, I could see these like lines of blood going down my arm. I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> so I get up and I, I go to the bathroom. I'm like, oh my god, what did he do to me? It's like he, he just leaped up and he used me as his launch pad to just take off just scrape and gouge of his claws down my side and all I could think of was the Warner Brothers cartoon eh, the pussycat's gonna scratch me